What's going on, everybody? Jackson Fuller here, and you are listening to another episode of Hogging the Mic. I'll be joined by Andrew Hutchinson momentarily, and we're recording this episode Monday morning. Taylor Swift is a Super Bowl champion, and Arkansas basketball is coming off a victory. So what a time to be alive in 2024. We'll dive semi-deep into the Hogs' home win over Georgia before getting super amped for opening day. Snow is on the ground, optimism is in the air, and baseball season is here. But of course, this time of the year means we must obligatorily discuss an Arkansas baseball preseason injury. Tough break for Peyton Stovall. Hutch and I will talk about all that and even a little bit of football talk. Let's play the music, bring in Hutch, and start up the latest episode of Hog in the Night. Hutch, how's it going, man? Uh, the big question everyone's asking wants your opinion on, did Kyle Shanahan abandon the run too early last night and pick it up too late in overtime for the San Francisco 49ers? It definitely seemed that way, didn't it? It, it uh, <laughs> I think I saw a stat where they had like three straight three and outs and there was only one pat or one run in there. And you've got Christian McCaffrey. Uh, that seemed a little a little interesting. Tough, tough loss for the Niners last night, especially for Arkansas alum Dre Greenlaw. Hated, hated seeing that. Uh, and honestly, kind of changed the game. I think, uh, you know, that's one less person to, to cover Kelsey and, you know, defend uh, Patrick Mahomes. But Mahomes is inevitable. So let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Arkansas sports. Uh, let's, you know, Razorback 78, Georgia 75 on Saturday inside Bud Walton Arena. Arkansas barely held on at the end to knock off the Bulldogs. Third SEC win of the season. Hutch, were you as surprised as I am when we got that 13th different starting lineup of the season? It is 13, right? It's L. Ellis at point guard, four guards, and no Jalen Graham. Uh, what'd you make of the lineup? And it, it worked, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, it, it was the 13th difference, uh, different lineup, um, and it was was interesting. But, I mean, you got to also remember, I think that included Jeremiah Davenport. He didn't really play a whole lot. So, I mean, as is always the case there at Musselman, the starting five really isn't who matters. It's who the closing five are, and uh, that's where it kind of got interesting for Arkansas with basically four point guard type players out there at once uh probably not going to see that again this year just because as Eric Musselman said there's not too many teams out there like Georgia but uh yeah that was that was an interesting game uh we I was talking to someone else before tip-off and we were saying you know what what do we think is going to happen and and he made the comment that uh nothing would surprise him even if Arkansas won by 15 I said now I would be surprised if Arkansas won by 15 I said now if they get up by 15 blow it and lose and win by three that wouldn't surprise me at all. And that almost happened. Got up by 12, blew it, and won by three. So uh, this team is just still just continues to be a little bit baffling. Yeah, the it was a weird game, really, because I, I, I went to the – after the game, I make the walk to the podium, and I'm thinking about what happened and getting ready to talk to Muss. And I'm like, man, the, the offense really kind of struggled there in the second half when they went to a 1-3-1 zone. And then Musk says, "Hey, our offense was good, other than the seven, other than stepping out of bounds and those costly turnovers." And I was like, "What?" And but you look at the stats. I mean, they shot over seventy percent from the field in the second half. 
I just it didn't really make sense the game flow how they could shoot so well to let Georgia come back. Uh, I guess I agree with Moss. I still did not think the offense looked crisp at all in the second half. What did what did you make of how they attacked the one three one zone? I mean, did the turnovers just kind of cloud and shade maybe how, how we kind of viewed the offense there? I guess so because I was with you. I was like, man, I thought that one three one little extended zone they were trapping out there up top. I mean, it, it seemed like it really bothered Arkansas which if you think in the past that kind of has happened this year a few times uh, and so I I didn't think it was that great but I mean I guess if you think about it they would either make a shot or get fouled go to the free throw line uh, or turn it over uh, and they it was always late in the shot clocks I mean that's why it kind of you know cut down the the possessions I, don't, I wouldn't say it was necessarily you know typical Eric Musselman stall ball uh, because I think it was just kind of necessitated by the defense they were facing. Uh, but I guess even though it didn't look the prettiest, it was pretty effective, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was it was very weird because it, it, it's hard to argue with the stats, right? I mean, they shot 73.7% from the field in the second half, and they shot 37.5% from three. They went three of eight, which is not a great number, but that's a much better clip than Arkansas had been shooting this year. I mean, there's there's been some SEC games where they're not even eclipsing 20% from three, and, you know, they got it up near 40 in the second half. The turnovers were a problem, but I think it was more fluky stuff. Uh, Kemi Keon Menefield stepped out of bounds about four times, and look, I guess overall they'll take it. I think they – you mentioned the four guards uh, that closed the game. That was L. Ellis, Keon Menefield, Tremont Mark, Devo Davis, who we'll get to in a second. And then there was a constant rotation. I felt like mainly between in the second half, I guess, Chandler Lawson and no, excuse me, Jalen Graham and Makai Mitchell. Um, Makai played most of the minutes and I don't know. I, I you say that they don't, they can't really play that way against other SEC teams. I'd like to see them try. Honestly, like they might get beat up on the boards, but clearly the offense is effective when they got this four guard approach. And we saw it against Abilene Christian. We saw it briefly in the UNCW win. I kind of like the way it looks offensively, and you can stretch teams out. And if Makai Mitchell scoring like he can, you're you've got a presence inside too that's capable. I mean, do you think there's any way Must tries this out against Tennessee on Wednesday? Well, I mean, they definitely moved the ball better. You know, I think Eric Mussman said there was like 220-something passes. Their goal is 200. Uh, so that the ball moved better. Uh, they were, you know, efficient in scoring the ball. Uh, so, I mean, maybe they give it a shot. But, I mean, I just still believe it goes back to what we've talked about way back even when, or, you know, first few episodes where it depends on if Merrick Musselman just kind of does a philosophical shift where he's like, I don't care as much about defense. I'm going to try to put the best offensive lineup out there versus his typical strategy of trying to defend at a high level. You know, he talked about, you know, L. Ellis was able to defend the four. Uh, I think that's the main one he said, uh, like for like 20, 25 minutes, something like that. Probably not going to be able to do that against most four men. Um, you know, they Georgia was a little bit small uh, in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he'll try that. You know, maybe maybe he does it and has, you know, sticks Devo on the four or something like that. Because I think Devo's defended the four, you know, at times throughout the season. So uh, maybe they try it. Uh, but you know, all I know is Eric Musselman's going to try something. Probably something we haven't really seen much of because he keeps tinkering with things. Yeah. Game to game. It's, there's, there's just no 
there's no sense of who is going to play, who's going to step up. And Musselman's admitted as much. Uh, I don't think he's happy about admitting that, but he said a couple times in press conferences, like, we've asked him, like, hey, like, how does this coat roll over to next game? You know, I think I asked him about that coming off the four guard lineup against Abilene Christian. And he was like, I don't know. I mean, we just, we just, we'll see what happens next game. I don't know who's going to play well next game. We'll figure that out as we get there. And that's not a good place to be for a program. And a big reason why I think Arkansas is 12 and 11 this season. Uh, we got to talk Devo. What'd you make of his performance? Four points, four rebounds and three assists. I, uh, you take the floor first, then I'll give my opinion. What, what did you think of Devo on Saturday? I thought he was actually pretty good. I know that's maybe a hot take for some people, uh, and I wrote this after the game, that he really did well. I know everyone's going to point to the last minute of the game that was a little bit, <laughs> where everyone says it was just awful where he almost lost the game, but he also made some key plays that helped them win the game as well in the final minute. I think it was you after the game that said it was the stereotypical you know, Devo Davis type of deal where, you know, he had the turnover. Uh, he missed, you know, one of the two free throws that could have really iced it. He fouled the three-point shooter, which I don't know what he was thinking on that play. Um, <laughs> but he also had just the incredible pass to Mackay early. Like, it was like with like 50-something seconds left that put Arkansas up. That was just a, a tremendous pass. Uh, he also, after the turnover, I mean, I went back and watched the replay. After the turnover, he hustled back, and he was the guy who defended and got a hand in the face of the guy shooting the three and helped him, you know, probably affected that shot. I mean, it didn't fall. Uh, otherwise, it would have been wide open. Maybe it does fall. Um, so, I mean, he does, you know, make some frustrating plays, but also you also got to remember that, that that one turnover he had, the only turnover he had in 35 minutes after being away for two weeks. You know, that's... That, that's pretty impressive. And the fact that he played 35 minutes, too. that you got to give him credit for that. And he was plus eight. That's it's a stat that I know is not necessarily the best stat in the world, but Eric Mosman puts a lot of stock in it. Plus eight, tied for, the, I think, Keon Minifield for the best mark on the team. So uh, you gotta, you got to give him some credit. He I think he played maybe better than, than I expected, honestly. I didn't, I didn't expect him to play 35 minutes, that's for sure. Yeah, I think... My take is out of the 34 minutes and 34 seconds that he played, he was terrific for about 34 minutes. I mean, really, really terrific. He he only took one shot, but he had an impact on the offense and just he made the unselfish cuts. He passed the ball. He kept it moving within the offense. He was the one that kind of was operating out of that high post at times against the zone. It felt like when they were in that zone, when Georgia was in that zone, Diva was kind of the best option at finding the way to crack it. Like he could maybe not get the assist, but he would get the pass that set up the the shot or set up the foul. Um, you know, I would like to see him be even more aggressive offensively. I think only taking one shot is not sustainable really for a guy that plays 37 minutes and or 35 minutes, excuse me, and has his kind of offensive capabilities. Uh, it's been a struggle for him this season shooting and so maybe he's trying to work his way back and you know do some of the other little things first but he did all of those little things his defense was terrific uh guarding the four when he needed to guarding you know the bj hill and or excuse me hill and the, the the other georgia guards i think he spent time on almost every georgia player other than their center i terrific and that pass from to makai mitchell i'm not sure there's another person on the arkansas roster that can make that pass 
um, threading it between three defenders and finding Mitchell. He he really really tried to goof it up there at the end, but for the first you know thirty four minutes he was he was terrific and. It was good to see him back out there, and, and really, really, I thought I think we pretty much knew this would happen, especially once Musselman kind of gave the endorsement for it. But it was really good to see the cheers and the the uh, the positivity uh, in welcoming him back to the team on Saturday from the crowd. Yeah, that was that was really good. I was not, I was very glad that it was a nice ovation for him because he deserves it. I mean, we can't we can't forget all the good things he's done uh, just because of you know it hasn't gone well this year. He left the team, which. Again, I want to quote, specify, he stepped away from the team. That's the phrase everyone used. He did not quit. I know that's a that's the buzzword among the fan bases that he quit on the team. He's a quitter. Well, I mean, Eric Musman didn't sound like a guy, like well, the way he was talking did not sound like he had quit. I mean, he said that he always expected him to come back. Uh, talking to the players, uh, L. Ellis and Tremont Mark, neither one of them said that he quit. And they spoke very highly of him, talking about, you know, he's a high basketball IQ and you know it really helps them when he's out there on the court uh did not sound like teammates or a coach that didn't like him and if if the teammates like him and the coach likes him why wouldn't you like him as a fan that, that that's come on I mean you got to give him and, and who knows the circumstances behind his departure who knows what's going on whether you know be family mental health whatever whatever it is it was obviously he had you know, the blessing of Eric Musselman. And to me, that that should be enough. I will say there was definitely some frustration at after the Kentucky game from Musselman, right? I mean, when we got him in that press conference, there was, it was, it, it did not feel like a blessing. And look, it was fresh. He didn't want to talk about it. Like he was frustrated. They had just lost a home game where they were right there, had a big chance to pull off a, big, a, a pretty substantial upset. Uh, however, we've seen what's happened at Kentucky since then. Um, but yeah, there was definitely some frustration on Muss's side in the immediate aftermath. But as we got closer and closer to his return, there you could kind of sense that this was not a guy quitting on the team or something super malicious from Devo. It was more of, hey, whatever's going on is none of our business. And he came back and he was terrific. He was he only scored four points. He was one of their best players on Saturday and played a big part in, in them winning uh, their third SEC game of the year. And they've played 10. So these don't come around too often this year. Uh, I think Arkansas fans need to savor it and and get ready for a challenge on Wednesday with Tennessee. But good to see Devo back out there for sure. And kind of excited to see what what comes next for this team now with, look, I mean, they've won two of their past three games. Debo is back. They've got a big home game. I'm not saying things are going to ma- magically turn around, but I'm excited to kind of just see what the effort and what the closed second half of the season just looks like in terms of how these guys are, are playing for each other and playing for Musselman because there are a few guys on this team that you hope are back next year. And, you know, I think we discussed the Musselman rumors last week. I think the fan base hopes he's back as well. So let's let's see what the what their what that combination players and coach are, are made of here down the stretch with not a whole lot to play for, but some pride on the line for sure. Um, let's see. I think I think that can kind of wrap us up for basketball talk. Uh, Hutch, you you ready to you ready to talk baseball and get get hyped for for opening day this this Friday? Always, I love baseball season. My favorite time of the year. So uh, let let's do it. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, sadly, Payne Stovall won't be a part of the opening weekend narrative, at least from a happy play standpoint. 
Arkansas's stud second baseman broke his foot in a scrimmage on last Monday. Uh, we were there at the scrimmage. He took, a, I think, a fastball off the foot uh, in his first at-bat, stayed in the game. I think he went two for two uh, after you know getting hit by the pitch. Did not run the bases. He got another hit by pitch uh, later in the game, but really tough break. He'll be out four to six weeks, doesn't need surgery. Um, how big of a blow is this, Hutch? Does this kind of change a little bit of early season optimism for this team? I mean, he was going to be a leadoff guy and one of their better hitters. This is a this is a big blow, right? Yeah, especially because he was actually starting to hit the ball really well. I mean, as you said, he stayed in the game, got another couple of hits. I mean, just right after having the first hit by pitch, he hit a rocket to, I think it's a right center for a double. That was like 100 miles an hour off the bat. Uh, then when he came up the next time, he poked a single the other way. I mean, it looked like he was really kind of finding his groove offensively after kind of a, a slow start um, on the first weekend of preseason practice, which was his first time back in like full scrimmage stuff after missing the fall. Uh, so it, it's it's bad timing. Uh, but is it the end of the world? Is it Should it hurt Arkansas's optimism? I would say no, because they do have options. They do have other guys that can fill in. Uh, and it's not a season ending injury. I know you mentioned uh, at the top, you know, know, Arkansas preseason injuries, this always happens. Well, the previous two were much more significant because it was one, your projected ACE, a much harder role to fill. And they were out for the entire year. You know, I'm talking about Peyton Paulette two years ago, Jackson Wiggins last year. Uh, That's two significant injuries right there. This one isn't quite that level because only four to six weeks should return. And then obviously you've got um, other guys ready to to fill in fill in behind, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I do. I have a little bit of concern just in the sense that you know if it if it is six weeks, I mean that's you're missing half the season. There's going to be you know I don't I'm not you have to anticipate some added recovery time when he comes back. He's not going to be firing on all cylinders right away. He's got to, you know, get back into the game rhythm and everything. Um, I, my, my main concern is that look, Arkansas has the highest of the highest of aspirations this season. Can the hogs win a national championship without Peyton Stovall? I mean, Maybe, but it would be a lot easier if they had him in that lineup, you know, playing second base every day, being that power leadoff guy at the top of the lineup and another lefty and what looks like a righty heavy lineup this year. So, yeah, not too much concern, but I am. My eyebrows are starting to raise a little bit and say, hmm, like they they can't really afford another injury to the infield, you know, and that we, we I need to see him come back and, and kind of start being super, super productive. I don't think a, a broken foot's better than a season-long injury or a season-ending injury, but it's still a broken foot. I know I'd be ruined if I broke my foot. So then uh, Peyton Stovall's a much better athlete than me, thankfully. So uh, when when we think about the lineup moving forward now, um, I think Peyton Holt's going to play second base, it looked like. At least he did in the Friday scrimmage that we went to. He was taking a lot of ground balls and BP beforehand there. It looks like Jared's the plan is to have him at second and Jared Sprague lot at third. Are we happy with this? Uh, does DVH need to check with us and do we have different opinions about <laughs> where the, the replacements should be Hutch? You know, I, I felt like Jared Sprague lot was going to be the guy who came into the lineup with the injury. My biggest question was where he would play defensively because Peyton Holt is probably more of a natural second baseman, but he'd been playing third base. 
because of Stovall. And Sprague Lott is kind of their utility infielder, but Van Horn has also said that he's probably more of a natural third baseman. And so I was like, okay, what are they going to do? Are they going to put them at their more natural positions? Or would you maybe keep Peyton Holt at third base because it is kind of a newer position for them, give them as many early season reps as possible, get them really comfortable with that position because Peyton Stovall is supposed to come back at some point. And so at that point, he would have to move back to third anyways. And so it's like, okay, what do you do there? You know, does it hurt you defensively? Plus, Sprague Lott is a roommate of uh, the Heva Aloy, the shortstop. Um, and so they kind of have this, I would say, ch- uh, chemistry. You know, Dave Van Horn kind of hinted at that whenever Stovall came back because he made Stovall and the Heva play catch before, you know, scrimmages, whereas, you know, he was trying to play catch with Sprague Lott. Uh, so you imagine that there's some chemistry there up the middle. Uh, but then again, Peyton Holt is a tremendous defensive second baseman. Uh, we saw that last year. Uh, we've seen it a little bit, you know, flashes and scrimmages. Uh, so uh, it doesn't it it doesn't too surprise me too much that he would put Peyton Holt back back at second and Sprague Lot at third because that's probably the best defensive lineup as it stands right now. Uh, but it may impact maybe later on in the season because you know Peyton Holt could have to switch back to third base in SEC play. And then at that point, if you make an error at third base, it becomes a lot more magnified against an Auburn or LSU than it would against a James Madison or, you know, whoever else they play in non-conference play. Yeah, that's fair. But I think that goes back to what I, I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about Stovall and just over his overall injury outlook, like four to six weeks is not meaningless, right? That's, that's a, that's, it's not season ending and you feel like, okay, he'll come back for SEC play, but that's a considerable chunk of time. And I think if it were two weeks, yeah, maybe you kind of try and keep Holt at uh, at third. If it could be six weeks and you're playing half the season, you want your best defensive lineup possible out there. If they're both going to be hitting, uh, might as well put them at their best positions and, and let, let them uh, play there until until Stovall returns and then you then you adjust. You know, I mean, who, who knows? Sprague Lott had a very, very productive season at Richmond. Maybe he lights the world on fire, and then you've got real decisions to make. Not saying Stovall will be left out at the lineup, but maybe one of those guys then has to become the DH. You know, uh, it's I think you you play them at their preferred spot, and then when Stovall returns, you, you figure it out from there. So, uh, speaking of uh, figuring it out, uh, I think I think the position battles are pretty much all determined. Touch. I think Jason Jones is going to win the battle and left and be the starter on opening day. And I think Hudson White is probably going to be the catcher with Ryder Helfrich, uh, the freshman, as the the backup catcher. Um, does that sound right to you? Any any qualms with those uh, two predictions? I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I'm still not sold on Jason Jones and left. Uh, <laughs> I think he's they want him to be the guy. He strikes out a little too much for my liking. Uh, doesn't hit the ball consistently enough. Uh, when he does hit it, though, it goes a long way. He hits it very very hard. Uh, so he probably he definitely is the better power option at that spot. Um, and then you know, I, I still am a big uh, Will Edmondson fan. I think he's a guy that's going to demand some playing time because all he's done is hit everywhere he's been at Juco over over the summer, back during the fall, during the preseason. All he does is hit. So I think he's going to get a chance. Plus, he's also you know a more natural outfielder than Jason Jones, although Jason Jones is plenty athletic enough. I'm not really too worried about him defensively although he had a pretty nasty crash into the wall the other day trying to catch a double uh, off the wall that you know maybe 
maybe someone else makes a better play at. Maybe he didn't have the quite the same awareness that a guy that's played it his whole life might. So that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I think that's probably going to be how it plays out in left. And I think you're exactly right at catcher. I think it's we're going to see a healthy dose of Ryder Helfrich this year. But on opening day, I think Hudson White's going to be there behind the plate. Yeah. And and look, Hudson White has been terrific uh, production-wise in the fall and in the spring. Um, so I think I think a lot of fans are kind of excited about the potential of Helfrich. And, you know, when DVH is comparing him to James McCann, uh, there's reason to get excited. But it, it's hard to kind of unseat a guy that's got experience playing for Texas Tech, an older guy. Uh, he made a terrific throw uh, to for a caught stealing on Friday in the in the pre in the scrimmage. Uh, seems sounds from everything we've heard, he's made strides defensively. Feels like the right decision to let the older guy be the be the guy opening day, and then let the let the competition kind of rage on into the spring. Uh, I imagine we see Helfrick pretty soon uh, in some capacity, uh, giving him some at bats just because the potential is is too good. Uh, Speaking of the guys that are going to start throwing to the catchers here in a little bit, uh, the starting rotation, Hutch, I think we we know who Friday is. We know who the other two guys are on the weekend. What we don't know is what order, I think. We might have a feeling, but we don't know for sure what order those other two guys are going to fall into. And we don't know who the Monday starter is going to be, at least this weekend, and really who the midweek starters are going to be moving forward. No midweek games this week, uh, excuse me, next week uh, in between James Madison and the trip to Dallas. So let's just focus on this opening weekend, Hutch. What do you think is the order of operations for Arkansas starting pitching staff Friday through Monday? How do you think they line up? Well, Hagen-Smith is going to go on Friday. That That's for sure. And then I'm pretty sure it's going to be Mason Molina on Saturday, followed by Brady Tiger on Sunday. I'm just basing that off of how they pitched in the preseason scrimmages. He's, uh, they've had uh, Hagen and Mason Molina match up against each other each of the last Fridays, so you probably want him to uh, pitch kind of closer to Friday, whereas Tiger, I think they had one weekend where they went Saturday or Sunday, Monday, and Tiger started on Sunday. I think he, he threw on Saturday uh, this past weekend, uh, so you're going to push him back just one day. Uh, so, I mean, you could keep him on Saturday and put, push Mason Molina back two days, Maybe they do that, but I still think based on what, what we've seen, it's going to be Hagen, Molina, Tiger. And then as far as Monday, I actually just got a text uh, from some, with some updates on how the scrimmage went on uh, Sunday, which was indoors because of the weather. So it was close to the public, close to the media. Uh, and Bybee did pitch. Ben Bybee did pitch. Uh, that was something I was keeping an eye on. I think he's going to be that four starter. Uh, I don't know how he did in the scrimmage. Uh, I just know that he pitched and he started, uh, and I think he's you know he's kind of an older guy. He pitched a little bit last year as a true freshman. I think he's going to be the starter in that fourth game and, and is going to at least get the first look at being that midweek guy. Uh, if it doesn't go well, then obviously they've got other options. You know, Gabe Gackle is one that is pretty electric. It would not surprise me if he got the start. He's been tremendous this preseason. Uh, maybe not you know quite ready to extend it out quite you know true starter innings uh but you gotta start somewhere so uh he would be the other maybe guy that i would keep an eye on as far as an option to start that fourth game other than ben bybee interesting i i think i would throw colin, colin fisher into the mix as well just based off him getting some opportunities to start these scrimmages and 
DVH had some pretty high praise for him uh, last Monday at the Swatters Club. Of course, he, uh, like three hours later, uh, got hit pretty good in a couple innings. But he's had a couple. Uh, he's had at least one really good outing in this in the spring preseason. I don't know. Again, I'm assuming he probably pitched yesterday in the closed door setting as well. We don't have the stats from that. I think you're right. I think it's down to Bybee and Fisher. Uh, Gackle, or excuse me, Bybee, Gackle, and Fisher, I'm going to throw him in. But what I will say about Gackle is, I'm, I think, I'm curious, I have a hunch that maybe his arm is too valuable to be a weekday starter. That maybe you would want to save him and make him a Friday night, Saturday night relief guy. So, I wonder if, but perhaps with no midweek game this week, we could see a starting pitcher pitch on Monday that's not going to be a weekday starter moving forward, right? There's a chance that DBH is just, these are the four best starters I've got. And, you know, when, like, when I get to a regional or to Omaha, like, these are going to be the guys that I run with to start four straight games. And, and, and that's where I'm going. And we'll adjust as we need to when the midweek games arrive later on. Or do you think he would probably, the Monday starter is going to be a weekday starter. Do you think that's something that he could also do to just keep the consistency? I think he's going to just try it out. I mean, if, if Bobby <laughs> goes out there and starts and does well, for example, then he'll probably let him start, you know, the in following, you know, midweek or whatever. Um, and it, it might be a situation where he pitches, but they, you know, have him available to throw an inning on the weekends as well, you know, cause you know, those guys are going to throw a bullpen anyways, you know, maybe let them throw their bullpen in a real game. Um, and the other thing too, is he might, you know, as far as, you know, Gackle being a valuable arm, I agree a guy that's going to need to pitch on the weekends. If no one actually emerges as a true starter guy, that's going to give you five, six innings. I could totally see DVH being just kind of a Johnny Holstaff guy. Cause they mm. do have enough you know, quantity of arms that you could probably do that. Even whenever you don't have two midweek games, you could do that. Uh, piece it together just have yeah you throw two innings here you throw three innings there and just kind of piece it together then at that point everyone's available for the weekend and uh, maybe you don't burn a guy you know have him throw seven innings and 100 pitches where you're, you're not going to pitch him again until the next week uh, midweek game so I could also see that being a, the case just because of the depth on this pitching staff Oh, Johnny Holstaff, Hutch. He he usually means that us journalists are there for like four and a half hours on a Wednesday night because there's a lot of pitching changes and no rhythm and walks and you know the thing about Johnny Holstaff is if if all the guys perform well, you're in good shape. But if one guy has a big bad inning, it kind of screws up the uh, you know then then you start using a lot of arms when maybe you only wanted to use three, four, five. So. We'll see. I think that's that's definitely an option. I that's an, the option that I, I personally, from my happiness, like the least. But I know that's probably a a, a smart um, lever that uh, DVH will pull at some point this season for sure. Uh, Hutch, any bold predictions from you for the baseball season? I went on the record and said national championship. I did it. I I have been beaten and broken by the the basketball and football seasons after both of them having at least some optimism to start the year. Uh, I, I, I've realized it's time for me to, you know, turn on my, my optimism to, to, you know, start believing again. I, I wrote that. I thought Arkansas would win the national championship this year. 
do you have, you know, you don't have to match my boldness there, but do you have any, anything, you know, prediction wise that we can make fun of you about uh, in, in four months time? Well, I don't disagree with that prediction. I'll say that I, it's been a long time since I felt this good going into a baseball season. Probably the last time I felt this confident was 2018 and they damn near won it that year. Um, so I, I feel really good about that, but just for the sake of being different, I will say Hagen Smith is going to be in the mix for the Golden Spikes Award uh, mm-hmm. as a pitcher, which is, is a little bit hard to do. Uh, we saw it last year with Paul Skeens was, was right there. I can't remember if he won it or if Dylan Cruz won it because they split, they split the national awards. One of those two dudes won all of them. Uh, so I think he's going to be right in the mix right there. I think he's going to be a, an absolute monster this year. I think he's going to be a top 10 uh, draft pick for sure. Uh, and he's we're in store for a very special season. Uh, maybe building off of that, I would say this pitching staff, it may not lead the country in ERA, uh, just because there's probably going to be some team that plays in the Patriot League or something like that that just dominates. Um, but I could see this team finishing top 10 nationally in ERA. Uh 2013, they led the country in ERA. I don't think we're going to see a number quite like that. So I think they had like a 1.89 ERA that year as a team, which is just ridiculous. That was back with the dead bats, dead balls, everything. Not quite uh, the dead ball era anymore in college baseball. So it's probably going to be larger than that. But I think it's going to be much improved uh, than the you know typical you know four point something ERA that we see. That's that's still pretty good when you factor in all the you know, guys that pitch on midweeks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they're, I think they're going to be a historically dominant type pitching staff this year. I, I really believe that. It all comes down to that buffer group that you wrote about uh, this this weekend, I think, and or, or maybe last week. But I like the top end and the and the back end of the rotation look really good. They've got to find, you know, they've got to find some consistent guys that can eat up some, you know. There's going to be times, especially early this season, when Hagen Smith's only, you know, he's thrown five scoreless innings, but he's gotten 100 pitches on his ledger and DVH pulls him. Can they get that that sixth, seventh inning taken care of, you know, before they turn it over to, uh, you know, whoever the closer is, whether it's with, whether it's Wood or, you know, any of their handful of stud pitchers. And they've got a lot of guys to choose from in that group. So I think that's kind of where the confidence lies, but we got to see it, right? You know, we got. I, I, I'm going to be in and in, in see it to believe it mode. And uh, I guess I do believe it, pick, predicting a national championship. But I'm not. I'm just not sure who of that group um, is going to be the guy that steps up. And I think that's really the biggest question left for this pitching staff. Do you see any? I guess closer. Uh, do you have a hard opinion? You think it's just going to be closer by committee, or do you think DVH maybe strays from that uh, as the season gets rolling? He'll eventually find a guy, you know, I th- I feel like he usually does that, that they depend on to close games. Like, you know, Gage Wood last year was not the closer until about halfway through the season when they were like, okay, this guy's our closer. Um, I think they're going to do a little bit by committee, uh, but that's the, you know, talking about who, we don't know who's going to be the guys. That's the beauty of this pitching staff is they've got so many options that even if a couple of them end up, you know, underperforming or laying an egg or God forbid getting hurt, something like that, they've got guys to step up. You know, as long as you keep that rotation good, I will say I'm slightly concerned about Mason Molina. He has walked a ton of dudes this preseason. Uh, he's He got lit up his last two outings. I'm a little bit concerned. 
but he did perform at a very high level in the Big 12 at Texas Tech for a 40-win team last year. Uh, so that gives me a little bit, puts me at ease a little bit. Uh, but, you know, between you, you've got, you know, we talked about the starting rotation, that's three. You, you mentioned the buffer group I wrote about. That's all those sophomore guys, the Gage Wood, uh, Parker Coyle, uh, Ben Bybee, uh, Cooper Dossett, Christian Fouch. That's eight guys. You got Will McIntyre. You got Cody Frank coming back from injury. Uh, you've got, um, you know, Ferity, don't Carter's forget my boy Ferity. Jake, Jake Ferity. I mean, suddenly <laughs> you're looking at, you know, and then you got to throw in some, some freshmen. Suddenly you've got like 14 or 15 guys that could be good for you. You don't need 14 to 15 guys, especially in the postseason. Right. You really need eight or nine, and that, that will get you through a weekend, get you through a regional. Uh, so that's what gives me the most confidence is that they've got, options there there's not like you're looking at like you know last year going in you're like okay will mcintyre and zach morris these guys have to be good for you you know especially if you get a bunch of injuries like they did those guys have to be good because those are the guys that are dependable these freshmen might be good they might be bad we don't know they've got talent you don't have to count on those guys uh this year so that that's kind of why they call it the buffer group those sophomore group uh, uh that that matt hobbs talked about so uh, that that's what gives me the most confidence about this staff is that there's just so many options that they have to choose from. And it is, it's, it's, it's in ways it's, it's a, it's how great programs build across any sport, Alabama football, Georgia football, they stack pieces and you stack enough. Eventually you're going to find a few that are the big, big hits and that can, you know, really define your football season. Arkansas has got no shortage of options. They really, like you said, they need to find probably three or four consistent pitchers out of the bullpen, and they've got about eight options. If so, if half, if they can find half of those options that are quality pitchers, they're going to be in great shape. Uh, before I move on, real quick, one thing on football: my what the hog this week is more of a question than a uh, than a gripe with social media. It's a question for you, Hutch. I want you to enlighten me. Walk me through. What is going on with this, uh, with the drama is not the right word, but some of the unsatisfaction with Arkansas baseball uniforms, what's going like pinstripes. We're not fans of the pinstripes. Are we, we love the red. We want that to be, what's just walk me through what's going on. I saw some, some unhappy tweets about baseball uniforms this week. Yeah. You funny. You mentioned that we actually, uh, have a column coming out on best of Arkansas sports about the baseball uniforms. Uh, we've got one of our guys, one of our writers uh, had, was very had a very strong opinion. Uh, one of these people you're talking about about these uniforms, and I okay. think it's just because the uniforms that they have are great. Like why why change something that's already great? You know why why mess it up? Um, and and who knows? I mean maybe maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe it looks great. You know ultimately it doesn't matter what they're wearing as long as they win. People won't care. Uh, but I think the thing is just that people people don't like change. I mean, you should have been here whenever they debuted the uh, forward-facing hog uh, logo. Boy, that was that was a fun time <laughs> to be on Twitter. I'll say that. <laughs> Wait, so so are we anti-pinstripes? Like, for, as a as just a, in like a, in a change sense, is that the what we're we're anti right now? I guess uh, you know me okay. personally. I'm not even a big uniform guy. Like, I mean, I love the Sunday creams that they wear. I mean, those are awesome uniforms. I think they're they're the best uniforms out there in baseball. Uh, but I'm also not like going to just protest, you know, pinstripes or whatever. Okay. I'm Googling Arkansas Sunday creams right now. And uh, something about 
disparate alcohol laws came up. So I'll have to research <laughs> that another time. Okay. I, hey, um, I, I like unif- I like ranking uniforms and I'm not going to have super hot takes about it, but the stuff that I saw over the weekend, I, I kind of liked the pinstripes, but I'm, I'm a, I might be biased. <laughs> I, UNC Wilmington, my alma mater has some pinstripes that I absolutely adore. So uh, and but I'm not a Yankees fan, so don't no I don't want that <laughs> accusation coming from anybody. So uh, let's move on real quick on the football front. Signing day came and went last Wednesday. No additions to the 2024 class, but the Hogs did add to their 2025 class Wednesday night. Of course, it's non-binding, but they secured the commitment of Carius Kern, the number one ranked prospect in the state of Arkansas and the number 18 offensive tackle in the country out of Marion High School. Hutch, uh, how big is this, man? I mean, this is just some positive momentum. It shows Pittman can, has, can still recruit. Um, they've taken a lot of hits on the trail. This is this is a big win for, for Arkansas football as a whole. If nothing else, it's good PR uh, because <laughs> they, they've struggled recruiting in-state. You know, we saw Missouri come in and kind of whip your tail a little bit, uh, recruiting players from the natural state. Uh, so this is a big one. This is a big one. Uh, this is a guy that can play either side of the ball. He could be a defensive tackle. He could be an offensive lineman. Uh, these kind of prospects, you know, Arkansas doesn't produce. It's not Texas or Florida or California or Louisiana or Alabama even. Arkansas does not re- produce these caliber of athletes very often. So when they do, you really want to go get them. Uh, now, I will say, Courtney Crutchfield at one point was committed to Arkansas. And then he ended up mm-hmm. with Missouri. So you gotta, you still gotta hang on to him. There's still a lot of time between now and National Signing Day. Uh, but boy, they they really need to uh, kind of reel him in and, and secure the other guys around the state too uh, to kind of kind of get back on that because that's always been a a very you know important part of recruiting as an Arkansas coach. For sure, uh, I thought this was a personal attack on my Signing Day column where I wrote about. Arkansas's 2024 recruiting class kind of it emulated in a lot of ways the struggles of the 2023 season where like, yes, there was, you know, some good prospects and, and good good wins. But for the most part, I think both the recruiting class and the season were they were defined by the losses. Crutchfield, uh, you know, Bethel Roman, um, you know, not getting either of the top quarterbacks out of the state of Arkansas. And then that was another thing, too, was their biggest losses came at home. Um, you know, on in the foot on the football field, the you know the the Donald W. Reynolds Razorback crowd got to see two wins over Kent State and FIU this year, um, <laughs> and you know the home recruiting just wasn't up to the standard that it should be when you've got guys like Crutchfield coming out of Arkansas. Really tough to see them leave the state, especially to uh, the neighbors to the north, who uh, we don't need to name anymore. Uh, uh, the, the stolen the prodigal son, Eli Drinkwitz, out of Arkansas. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I, I do you think? Have you heard anything about what they they plan for Carius, like offensive or defensive side? I mean, it's reading the tea leaves. I'm getting the sense offensive tackle first, but. Uh, you know, a guy with that kind of versatility, take them and, and figure it out at the end, right? I think at this point, it's truly up in the air. Like, I think mm. they could, I think both Deke Adams and uh, Eric Mateos have been recruiting him. Uh, he's probably got, he, he's he said he's got a better relationship with Deke Adams just because, you know, <laughs> Eric Mateos just got here. Uh, right. But still, like, I, I think it's truly, truly up in the air. It, it reminds me of Patrick Kudis when he committed, because uh, when he committed out of a, some school in Memphis, 
uh, he originally committed as a defensive tackle. And then a little bit later, not that, that much longer after that, uh, it suddenly it was like, oh, they're recruiting as an offensive lineman. And he came here, signed <laughs> as an offensive lineman. Now you're, he's you know, been starting. So uh, it, it's a very similar situation to that. Uh, it could also just depend on the need of the team. I mean, Arkansas needed you know, offensive linemen at that time. Uh, and you know we'll see if they they still need that or if they've solidified it enough to where hey maybe you need that guy with that kind of athleticism and stuff you know in the middle of your defensive line. Yeah, and either way, I mean they they need interior defensive linemen too as as far as high school recruiting goes. I mean they've shown an ability to go through the portal. I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that they uh, I think they've got pretty good defensive tackles this year, um, starting with with Cam Ball. Um, but I'm just but building for the future. There definitely there's a lot of positions out there, man. Uh, offensive line, wide receiver, defensive tackle that they they're a little short on right now in terms of building for the future. But we can discuss that later. We touched on it a little bit last week, I think. And uh, the first thing that has to happen for this football program is they need to win this year. They you know they don't need to win big, but they if Pittman's are going to be around for the long term, uh, the you the focus is on you know this coming season more than anything else and get some wins there start building some momentum again and we'll see what happens uh recruiting down the road but all right man that's that's 45 minutes right on the dot right now that's a good place for us to stop i think a uh, good discussion today really can't wait for baseball season uh one quick note before i have hutch tell everyone where he where the, you guys can find his work uh, we will record our next episode on Tuesday, or it'll at least come out after the uh, four-game weekend series between Arkansas and James Madison at Walker Stadium. We're going to wait and uh, make sure all those games are played before we hit the record button because uh, it feels kind of foolish to record. And then, you know, who knows what happens on Monday between those two teams. So, uh, Hutch, turn, turn it over to you. Uh, plug yourself. Any stories? Any, you know, where can people find you? And what can they read on Best of Arkansas Sports right now? Yeah, so you can find me at, on Twitter or X at NWA Hutch. I tweet all my stuff there, but you can also go visit our site directly, bestofarkansasports.com. Uh, I'm really starting to ramp up the baseball coverage. I'm very excited about that. We talked earlier about the uh, buffer group that I wrote about. I've written about extensively each of the three starters. Uh, I've got some other stories planned this week, a, a deep dive on the, the look at the catchers with some insight from Bobby Wernis, uh, who focuses on coaching those guys. So. Uh, really excited to kind of get going with that uh, with that uh, baseball coverage. Awesome. And uh, you can find my work at SWTimes.com. That's the Southwest Times record as part of USA Today. Follow me on X slash Twitter at JacksonFuller16. I'll be having, you know, uh, I think I'm going to have a Hagen Smith-like feature come out this week. A look at just kind of how he's dealing with all the preseason hype around him. And... Uh, Spoiler warning, he's dealing with it pretty, pretty well because he is uh, doesn't really pay attention to it much. But I uh, got some interesting tidbits from you know people around him and uh, really, really looking forward to watching him uh, kind of blossom this season. What we saw on Friday at the scrimmage was electric. So uh, going to be a fun, fun spring at Baumwalker Stadium. So much. Thank you so much for, for joining me as always. And I will see you Wednesday for home game against Tennessee.